This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. Hey, good morning. Today is the second Sunday of Advent. If you're a guest or maybe first time in a while with us, my name is Chris. I'm the pastor here at Christian Chapel. We're thrilled that you're joining us. I also want to encourage you during Advent. It's a wonderful time to invite your friends, family, neighbors, uh, random people at the grocery store to come to church with you. Um, It's just a a time where people are generally more open, more receptive to those invitations. And every Sunday especially, but then really on those Christmas Eve services, if you're going to be in town on December 24th, we'd love to have you join us. It's a a wonderful tradition that we enjoy. And so uh, bring your friends, your family with you. Let them be part of that um, worship service on Christmas Eve with us. During Advent this year, we're talking about what it means for Jesus to move towards us and and really how Jesus is God's ultimate demonstration, his final declaration that he will always move towards us. And today we're going to talk about how when God moves, we have to respond to that move. Um, This past Tuesday was December 2nd, which might not have been a a significant date for you. Uh, But for me, December 2nd is the anniversary of when I proposed to my wife. So this year was 19 years um, since I asked Angie to marry me. And 19 years, depending on how old you are, sounds like a really long time or not so much at all, right? Uh, But here's what you need to know. The difference between proposing in 2000 and 2019 is kind of the difference between living in the dark ages and living now. Like when when I went to propose to Angie, I had, um, I didn't have a phone with a camera. I did not have the ability to text my friends and family and tell them afterwards. I did not have to worry about um, hiding someone in the bushes so that we could get pictures we could post on Instagram later. I didn't have to worry about do our names mash together to form some cute wedding hashtag. Um, I didn't have to worry about any of these things. I didn't even have to worry about getting married in a scenic location. We just got married in a plain old church with an ugly carpet. So um, all of these things kind of, kind of contributed to it. And, you know, really for the, the sake of my wife, it probably would have been better if Instagram and some of those things had been around at the time so that I would have had a better understanding of how you actually should propose. Um, So so just uh, parents, if you're here and you're hoping your kids don't get married too young, uh, I'm about to give them some ammunition for that, so I'm sorry about that. But uh, when I proposed to Angie December 2nd, 2019, I was 18 years old. I was in the just completed one semester of college, knew everything I needed to know, um, basically, as far as am I going to marry this woman or not. You know, sometimes it just takes the first two weeks on campus, and you're like, nope. Uh, So I I knew. I knew. She was it. There was not only uh, no one like her, there was no one close to her. Now, Angie was a couple years older than me, and so we had had started dating uh, that summer, and I always kind of wondered why. Um, not from my perspective, but from her. I, I had all my reasons, but I just always wondered why. And so as we started talking about marriage, and, and she seemed to actually think that was a good idea, um, I, I really was kind of motivated then of, hey, let's lock this in before she changes her mind. <laughs> right? So generally, I would not advise 18-year-olds to get married, but here's what you need to know about me. At 18, I was exceptionally mature. <laughs> I mean, I'm not, like, you're laughing, and that's offensive, but I'm being serious. Um, I was actually probably the most mature I've ever been in my life was in that, that period. I, I mean, for Angie, if you talk to her, it's, I've kind of devolved since then. Like, 
peak maturity was about 18, bordering on 19, and then it's just kind of been a regression back to 13 years old ever since. But uh, so, so we're, we're in that season of life, and I'm thinking, hey, we, we want to get married. Uh, we're looking at if we wait till I'm out of college, here's kind of uh, what that would look like. If we did it now, here's what that would look like. And so I, I went home, fall break, in my freshman year of college, and said, Dad, I'm getting married. And he kind of looked at me side-eyed and, and said, I think Angie's a wonderful woman. She's far better than I ever thought you would do for yourself. But let's wait till you graduate so you can actually have a job because those are important when you're married. And so I, I kind of showed, now I came prepared because I figured my dad would respond that way. And so I, I, I pulled out a piece of paper and I started to write it out for him. I said, look, if we get married now, um, Angie makes enough that she can cover our rent and then I can work to cover my tuition. And at the end of college and graduate school, I'm going to have $10,000 in debt. If I follow your plan, dad, I'm going to be $50,000 in debt. And he looked at that and in a moment said, sounds like a great idea. So next summer, um, and it, it was just that simple, right? There was not, so, so I say that to tell you, I obviously did not grow up in a family that had a lot of romantic ideals, Right. Like, Dad, should I get married or should I not? Well, what's the bottom line difference? Okay, he, he was, well, I'll be in the black. Okay, great, let's do it. Uh, so, so I um, kind of go through this process. December 2nd, I finally have the ring. I've organized it all. Again, I am 18 years old. I did not grow up dreaming about proposing to a girl, right? I dreamed about playing in the NBA, and that dream had already been destroyed, and so I, I didn't pick up a new one in time. Uh, so I didn't know. I just knew all I was supposed to do was put a ring on her finger and get her to say yes. That was the whole goal, right? And so, so I, I knew enough to know it should be like a, a special restaurant. Now, again, 18 years old, broke college student, living in Springfield, Missouri. Um, my wife loves the beach. She grew up on a lake. Um, and so I thought, okay, I'll, I'll take her to a restaurant on the water. I didn't really know any places. So I asked some buddies in town. They're like, you need to go um, to this little restaurant down in Ozark, Missouri on the Finley River. I'm like, great. Okay. So I called and make a, res- make a reservation. Did I bother to go check it out first? No. Did I ask them, is this a good spot to propose? Absolutely not. They just told me, hey, it, it'll be good. It has a little balcony that overlooks the river. So I thought, okay, that'll be beautiful and nice and whatever. And so, so I go to pick Angie up on December 2nd, and I, I go up and got the ring in my pocket. I'm super nervous. I knock on the door to her apartment. We walk out. We go to get in my car, and I've locked my keys in my car. So, uh, you know, this is, this is now delaying our departure. And, but I have a reservation, and so we... We drive down and we pull up to this restaurant, and, uh, and I, should have, I should have visited it ahead of time. Um, so we, we get out, and it looks like, I don't know if you've ever, maybe your grandparents lived on a farm, and your grandpa thought he was a builder, and your grandma thought she was a designer, and they just kind of clumped. That was what this restaurant looked like. It had been built in segments. The owner um, was kind of an artist, and so he would do each little room in different themes. So like you would walk through, and it'd be like, hey, here's some shag carpet. Now here's some checkered board tiles, and now here, oh, he's Art Deco all of a sudden. And, and it was just very very confusing and low ceilings and dark. And, and so I'm, you know, just thinking, man, this is not good. Uh, but I'm, I'm holding my hopes on there's a balcony that overlooks the river. So just the food was delicious. We go out on the balcony afterwards and, and we get out there and, and I see it's, it's not a balcony. It's a wooden deck, um, you know, kind of like you would build onto a double wide. Uh, and, and it's got some pretty big gaps in between the boards. 
and it's cold, and my fingers, you know, are going to get kind of, th- so I have this fear immediately, like, well, I'm, I'm definitely dropping this ring. Like, it's, it's just going to be gone, and it's okay, because her mom gave us a center stone, and so it's not like it's sentimental, but, you know, so, so just kind of having this, this panicky moment, and we get out there, and, and in my mind, I had envisioned um, a balcony kind of like extending out over the river, and you could hear it, and you could see it. Again, a, a visit would have been good, because uh, we got out there, and it is, it's just stone-cold dark. You can't see the river anywhere. It's freezing. My wife, in addition to uh, loving the beach and the lake, she hates the cold, so I'm just hitting all the boxes at this point. And we're out there, and she's kind of like, why are we out here? And I'm like, why are we out here? This is not what I envisioned. Um, and so I, you know, I, I give her a card. I, I knew I wasn't going to do a very good job communicating, so I got a card ahead of time. I'd, I'd written some things in that. I gave it to her, and she read it. And, and in my mind, when she read it, she was going to tear up a little bit, probably. Uh, but she kind of looked up and looked confused. <laughs> and... I took that as my cue to pull a ring out of my pocket and say, will you marry me? And, and forgot to get down on a knee, forgot to say any nice things at all. I mean, just popped the clutch straight to, will you marry me? Please say yes, right? Like, and, and so in that moment, like the whole, the whole thing had built up, but it wasn't complete until she said yes. Now, thankfully, Angie said yes. And, and I'm pretty sure she's never told our engagement story to anyone. And I'm pretty happy about that, right? I probably owe her, like, let's see, 20 years is coming up. Maybe the 25 or 30-year anniversary. I might owe her a proper proposal. Now, she, she, uh, she came to first service and, and left to take our daughter to a basketball game. So don't blow my surprise, okay? And notice I said 25 or 30, which could get extended to 35 or 40. So uh, just at some point, I probably owe her a better one. But the, the whole point of that is the, the proposal story, the engagement story is never finished until you hear yes, right? Now, so there's this moment when I'm proposing to Angie. I am 99.9% sure she's gonna say yes. We've had a lot of long talks about it. I've told her about the conversation with my dad. I've had the most uncomfortable conversation of my life with her dad. Um, you know, her, her mom has given me the center stone from her own engagement ring to use in Angie's engagement ring. Actually, she didn't give it to me. She gave it to Angie, who then gave it to me. So none of this is surprising to her, right? It, it got delayed getting back, so I told her, like, hey, you can go ahead and start shopping for a wedding dress. I mean, I had all the cards stacked in my favor. She is. This was the most sure thing I'd ever done in my life. And yet there's still this element of fear of, what if she realizes what a bad idea this is for her. Like, what if she, what if in that moment she looks and is like, wait a minute, you are 18, you don't have a job, and you're a theological studies major. This is not going well for any of us. I'm going to work till the day I die, right? Like, I just had all of these kind of fears. And, and some of you, when you think of your own engagement stories, or maybe you dream towards the future, it might be big, it might be extravagant, but it's never complete until someone says yes. You have to hear those words because all of the movement builds up to that one little word. So what I want us to think about this morning is all through the scriptures, but especially in the Christmas story, we see God moving towards us. We see him coming and revealing his purposes, revealing his plans. We see him showing Jesus to us. But in every space where God moves, the story is not complete until we say yes and we choose to now move with him. 
Right, for Angie and I, that was the beginning of a relationship where two people become one, where a whole new future is created, and that future is with us together. And, and what we're going to look at this morning in the Christmas story is how when Jesus comes and is revealed to us, whether we're searching or not, it's always so that we will say yes, so that we will begin to walk with him for the rest of our lives. So we're going to look at two parts of the Christmas story, the, uh, God's revelation to the wise men and his revelation to the shepherds. It's in Matthew chapter 2 and Luke chapter 2, if you have a Bible and want to follow along. We'll start in Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. The story of the wise men, it says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. If you flip over to Luke chapter 2, we see the story of the shepherds. It says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Now, a couple things to notice before we really jump in. First of all, like we talked about last week, God is the initiator of every move. Right? In, in both of these stories, the revelation to the wise man, the revelation to the shepherd, uh, Mary, Joseph, you can look at every element of the Christmas story. In all of them, it is God who makes the first move. He's the one who starts every conversation. He's the one who puts every thought, every desire inside of us. He is the one. So when we think of our own faith story, of our movement towards God, it always starts with his movement towards us. And then the the next two things we notice we'll spend a little more time on. First of all, we notice that God moves towards us when we're searching for him. So the the wise men, these are are men who in their their culture, their society, they are looked to for advice. They're looked to for wisdom. They are government consultants. They are people that you would go to if you were trying to discern, hey, should I I start this business? Should I marry this girl? Should I go down this path? They were men of, of wisdom and who were respected for their ability to kind of read the stars and then apply what they saw to the, the affairs of the world. And in their culture, in their society, they were viewed as these are men who have a, a special connection with a power that's greater than us. And so the, the wise men in the east, they live in a land where the Israelites have previously been taken into captivity. And when the Israelites were taken into captivity, they maintained their relationship with the Lord. They maintained their hopes for a Messiah. And these thoughts would have been shared with these these schools of wise men. And so now even hundreds of years after the exiles have went back to Jerusalem, the promises and the hopes for a Messiah have remained part of what these wise men think, what they know, what they're looking for. And so they're looking to the stars for answers. They're searching for truth. And they see a star that points them to the arrival of a king in Israel. And so they begin the process. And they, they go and they, they arrive in Jerusalem. And the scriptures are consulted. And they say, hey, the Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem. So they go to Bethlehem. And, they, and they, they work through. And we don't know exactly how long this process takes or exactly when they find Jesus. But at some point, they find him and they worship him. And what it reminds us of is that when we're searching for God, first of all, he's always going to speak to us in a language we understand. God spoke to the wise men through the stars because that's where they were looking. And so when you're searching for God, whether you know you're searching for him or not, he's going to speak to you in a language you understand. But but not just keep it there. He's then going to confirm that message through the scriptures. 
Right? And, and so you'll begin to see, okay, this is where God's leading. This is where God's directing. And ultimately, when you're searching, he's going to speak in a language you understand. He's going to confirm it through the scriptures. And then he's going to invite you to worship. He's going to invite you to surrender. And so some of us have come in today, and we know we're in a season of searching. And typically, we search for one of two reasons. Either because we are desperate, we're at the end of our rope, we know there's no other hope, there's no other answers, the, the relationships on life support, the, the finances are a disaster, the career didn't pan out, the, the you're being dismissed notice came this past week, the diagnosis is in, the kids are, are, are off the farm, whatever it might be. You're kind of at the end of your rope, and you come searching for hope. You come searching for just a, a lifeline to throw out. And, and we have hope in those spaces that Jesus will be revealed to us as we search in our desperation. At other times, we, we search not from our desperation, but we search because we've tried everything, and nothing brought fulfillment to us. You've achieved everything you ever wanted to achieve. You got the degrees. You got the relationship. You got the job. You got the house. You got the car. You've got the money in the bank. You've got everything that you've been told will make you happy and you're miserable. And there's no peace. It's, it's the King Solomon type of existence of I've tried it all and it's all meaningless. Where's the hope? Where's the peace? Where's the joy? Where's the ability to lay my head on the pillow at night and just go to sleep and be at rest? And in, into either space, into either motivation for your searching, what you can be sure of today is as you search for truth, God will reveal Jesus to you. And he'll reveal him in language that you understand. He'll confirm that revelation through the scriptures. And he's going to invite you into a relationship with him. So when we're searching, God moves towards us. And then the shepherds, they're the other side of this equation. They're the reminder that when we're indifferent, God moves towards us. So the shepherds, when we pick their story up in Luke chapter 2, they're just minding their own business. Right? It is just a, another night in the pasture for them. They've gathered the sheep. They've got them all kind of bedded down for the night. The fire is built. They, they have their, their protection in place against predators. They are just at rest. They're at peace. And then suddenly, everything changes. Right? The, the night sky lights up. The angels begin to sing and proclaim. And it's this moment of, of we went from zero to 60 like that. Now, now, some of us, we've had this experience where we are just coasting through life, and suddenly God just arrests our attention in a dramatic way. Now, many of us, we, we have the ability to sit in a space uh, or to be engaged in an, an activity and appear to be totally locked in, and yet you know your mind is a million miles away. Right? Some, some of you are probably doing that right now. Uh, like from where I stand, you look very attentive, uh, but you're already down the road of like, when do those BCS standings come out? What chance do we have? We're going to be the four seed. Who are we going to play? Uh, I mean, and it's not just you. Like this happens to me even sometimes when, when I'm preaching. Of, hey, there's words coming, literally coming out of my mouth and thinking about what needs to come next. And in the back of my mind, there's another conversation of like, did I offend him? Because he looks really angry this morning. Like, he has not uncrossed his arms once. He's just sat there the whole time, and some of you just uncrossed him. Like, you're, it's, uh, it's not personal, just a, just a joke. But we, we just, our minds are incredibly complex and have this ability to be engaged in two or three or four different things at once. Now, that is good for us in a lot of spaces. It helps us to multitask, do all sorts of things. But it can be really detrimental to our ability to hear God's voice. Sometimes we are so locked in on, on conversation two, three, four going on in our brains that we miss what's going on right here in front of us. And so even this morning, some of us have come in with absolutely no expectation. 
just indifferent. Like your only expectation is I came and I will leave. That's it. There is no hope for anything beyond that. And and my prayer for you all week long has been that you will have one of these experiences like the shepherds have where God comes and just grabs your attention. Right? Maybe it's the lyrics of a song. Maybe it's a conversation you had with somebody before church where they just wanted to let you know, hey, I I just felt like God put you on my heart, and how are you doing, and and can I pray this prayer for you? Can I encourage you with this? And it's it's just one of those moments where you're, you're just coming in expecting the routine, and suddenly everything changes. Maybe it's a scripture that we read. Maybe it's a part of a message. Maybe it's, it could be any portion, but at some point God comes, he intervenes, he grabs our attention, and he does it to point us to Jesus. You see, God loves us so much that he will frequently interrupt the routine of our life to point us to his activity, to his purposes, to his plans. Our job is to respond to those interruptions as divine appointments instead of as personal annoyances. I mean, can you imagine the shepherd's response if they had kind of looked at the angels and saw this and were like, seriously, we just got them down for the night. <laughs> like, really, angel, you couldn't have come during the day when they're all running around? Like, we just got them set up, but they don't do that. Their response to the interruption is, let's go see. Let's go see what God will do. And it's a reminder to us, both the shepherds and the wise men teach us that when God moves, we move. You can read their responses here in Matthew 2 and Luke 2. It says, on coming to the house, speaking of the wise men, they saw the child with his mother Mary. They bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The shepherds said to one another in Luke 2, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has taught us about. All through the scriptures, we see that idea of when God moves, we move. When he speaks, we listen and we obey. When he calls, we follow. Life with Christ is always meant to be a life of movement. As you keep reading through the gospels, you'll see that every time Jesus calls disciples, he doesn't say, hey, come come, uh, learn a a book of knowledge from me. He doesn't say, hey, come and, and learn some theological principles. He doesn't say, hey, come carry my bags and do the heavy lifting for me. What does he say almost every single time? Come follow me. Life with Christ is a life of movement for us. And and so if that's true, then the opposite of that is also true. It means that stagnant faith is sick faith. And the reason some of us feel cold, we feel shut off, we feel like I don't hear God's voice anymore, I doubt his love for me, I doubt his concern, I doubt his power to lead me, to guide me, to deliver me, is because somewhere along the line, we stopped paying attention, we stopped moving, and we just stayed where we were. And as we stayed where we were, our our ears grew thick and closed to the voice of God. Our hearts grew cold and no longer had a primary concern for what's he saying, how's he leading, how's he guiding. And we just begin to settle in, to grow roots in this spot of, well, I guess I'll just do it on my own. And if you live in that space long enough, eventually you become convinced that, well, because I haven't heard him or don't hear him, he doesn't speak, he doesn't care, he doesn't need me, so I'll just try to handle this on my own. Now, most of us never arrive in that spot on purpose. It's not like you're just kind of trucking along in your relationship with God and then just one day wake up and think, you know what, this is where I'll stay. I've learned all I need to learn. I've done all I need to to do. And so I'm just going to stay here 
and I'm going to trust that, that my experience of God to this point is good enough to get me through the finish line of my life. We, we don't do that. So, so what happens? How do we get there? Most of us get there through distraction. We're, we're going, we're moving, we're walking with God, but then life begins to come. And as life comes, our attention is diverted from the God who's leading us, guiding us to all the different things that are going on around us. We become incapacitated by our distractions. You, you've seen this happen. How many of you um, have had or currently have kids of any age living in your house? Okay, so what I'm about to describe was some of your uh, probably like an hour ago experience. But you, when you've got kids, one of the things you have to do with your kids is you have to get them out of your house. Not just when they turn 18 or graduate college. I mean, that's always a goal of... You, you know, you can live somewhere, just not here. But uh, there, there's this goal as a parent of almost a daily experience. You've got to get your kids out of the house to somewhere. You've got to get them to school. You've got to get them to church. And so there, there are some very basic principles that are involved in getting a kid out of the house. Right? And, and you would think that by the time a child has been through this process, 365 days a year for the first 10, 12, 15 years of his or her life, that they would have the pattern down. And it's not complicated. It's, hey, Wake up, put on pants, put on a shirt, brush your teeth, hopefully. Uh, you know, that, that one we can be negotiable on sometimes, but, but do that. Uh, get on your shoes, get on your socks, and then it's, it's really complicated. Then we walk out the door, right? And so this is it. It's like a five-step process. There are no advanced degrees required to do it, and, and yet every parent knows that there are days it's like your child, they are... 17 years old, but they've never done this before in their life. Like, you want me to do what? You, why are, where are we going? Why do we even have to go there? That's stupid. I don't want to do it. And, then, and you've got this, or you've got the, like, the three-year-old that just looks at you like, pants? Again? Right? And, and so they've got this. And, and so as, as parents, we kind of learn, and, and we, get some, we get some patterns, and we get some routines. Uh, but there, there is the, the great distractor that ruins our best laid plans. And it looks like your TV, your phone, your tablet, one of those. I don't know what it is, but, but in our house, it's, it's typically the TV. And so it, it, the kid has, has achieved steps maybe one, two, and three, right? Pants, shirt, check, maybe even brush your teeth. They might have even eaten breakfast at that point. And now we're at the point of all we have left to do is shoes and socks, just shoes and socks. We're so close. We can taste <laughs> the finish line. And what happens? The TV goes on. And if it, if it was one of my boys, it means sports center's on. If Audrey got there, it means it's, it's a fixer-upper. And so one of those things, we're either on ESPN or HGTV. Like, we only do acronyms in our house. We don't, we don't watch other channels. So they're watching one of those, and, and there is just something that happens. They sit on the ottoman. Their shoes are on the floor in front of them. They've got the sock in their hand. They have even crossed the leg. They're in the Mr. Rogers stance, right? And they, they get the sock on the tips of their toes, and they freeze. And it's, it's, like they, it's like they died, honestly, in that spot. And they're frozen. And, and I would like to say that they grow out of it. And yet sometimes I find myself sitting in that same position. And you're just sitting there and you're wondering. And as a parent, you're still talking to them in the process. Hey, put your shoes on. I am. Did you eat breakfast? Yeah. We're leaving in 30 seconds. Okay. And still. They don't move. 
They're just locked in right there until you finally come up, right, and you turn off the TV, and then life is restored. It's like a resurrection has occurred, and you're like, hey, we're leaving. Why, why are we le- I haven't eaten breakfast. I don't have my socks on. Why are you always rushing me? Why do you yell so much? And you're just like, I, because of you. That's why I yell. That's why I'm losing my hair. It's why the neighbors think I'm a bad parent, because you can't put your socks on. Right? And, and in that moment, what we know as parents is what distracts them. Things that don't matter at all. Like, I don't care if you think the dunk that's going to be number one in the top ten is going to change your life. I'm going to end your life if you don't get in that car. Right? I don't need to see Chip and Joe reveal another. It's shiplap. Spoiler. Get in the car. Let's go. It's going to be a white kitchen, and it's going to be stuff we can never afford. So get in the car. Let's just go now. Right? But we have this. It's just we're incapacitated, and you see it in a child, and it's just like that is so frustrating. And yet, how many of us in our relationship with God have found ourselves in that exact situation? We have become frozen, incapacitated by the distractions of our life. And God looks at it with the same feeling I feel towards like, look, the sports center thing, it doesn't matter. I can look later and tell you, just get in the car. But we're sitting here as adults, as teenagers, as as college students thinking, man, I I can't move because I don't know how next semester is going to get paid for. I, I, can't, I can't give because I don't know if I'm going to have enough for retirement. I can't take this next step in a relationship because I don't know how they're going to respond to me. And we just get frozen in that space. And, and sometimes it's frozen by the fear. Sometimes it's just frozen by the sheer distraction of life. And you see, we've never lived in a culture where we are so easily distracted as we are right now. I mean, just, just think, of, think about this. When was the last time you picked up your phone? to do something, right? You, you heard a ding and you thought, I'm going to answer that text message. Or you, uh, you know, like this morning, I had this moment of, oh, I need to set myself a reminder on my calendar to email this guy this afternoon. And so you pick it up and you start to do the one thing that should take you 30 seconds, right? But, but what happens? You pick it up, and now some of you already, you're like, I don't have a smartphone. Good for you. You are more Christian than the rest of us. Like, you can exempt yourself and go live on the holy mountain with Moses and all those people. But the rest of us, we're living in 2019, and we've got these smartphones, and you pick it up, and you think, I'm going to answer one text. I'm going to send one email. I'm going to check the weather. I'm going to look where my kid's bus is. You're just going to do the simplest of, of things. And then as soon as you pick it up, it's like, oh, but look at that alert. So I'm going to check over here, and oh, well, the, the news app, I'm going to scroll through there. And oh, the weather, oh, that's what, the, that's what I actually got on here for. This is what the weather's going to be today. I wonder what the weather is in Colorado. It sure would be nice to live in Colorado, right? If, how much are houses in Colorado? I'll look at Zillow. Oh, man, houses are expensive in Colorado. I can't live there, but maybe I can go on a condo for a ski trip. Are they getting snow yet in Winter Park? What are their early season? I, can't, I should check my bank account. I can't even afford that, but what are the prices? Man, that's good. Is there a second shift I can work. I'm not an hourly employee. I'm a pastor. You know, and, and you're just kind of going through all of these kinds of things. And next thing you know what happens? You're 30 minutes in and you have not moved from your spot because you're just completely and totally distracted. Like we just walk around and, and sometimes even I you guys are probably more Christian than I am, but sometimes this even happens to me. I got I go through my annual Bible reading plan on my iPad, uh, which is super convenient. And can also be super distracting. Because in addition to my Bible, I can also access everything else in the whole world at any time. 
And any little thought that I have, like I, you know, there, there's no, when I was growing up, at least there was this option of, I wonder how wind turbines create energy. I don't know. And I would move on with my day. Now it's like, oh, Google that. I don't want to be a dummy. What if somebody asked me how wind turbines create energy, right? And I want to be able to answer that the propeller spins and then it twists the rotor inside and there's a main shaft that goes back to a generator and the generator creates the electricity and then it sends it. That's how they work, right? How do I know that? Because I'm easily distracted. And I don't need to, and you don't need to. And so many of us in our lives, we're saying God doesn't speak, God doesn't move, God isn't leading me, he's not guiding me, he's not providing for me, he's not reaching out to me. And the whole time we are just chasing rabbit trail after rabbit trail after rabbit trail. And this is why seasons like Advent are so important to us because we need times to just stop and to just be reminded God is moving. God is speaking. My job is to listen, and my job is to respond. You know, for the, the wise men, they, they deal with all kinds of distractions to get to Jesus. Like, they've got to load up. Many scholars think they go on a 900-mile journey to find the source of the star. This is not an easy trip for them. For the shepherds, again, such, a, such an incredible opportunity to be distracted. The part of that story I never thought about this, until this week is what happens to the sheep when the angels show up? Like the sheep, that has to freak them out, right? Maybe there was a supernatural sleep that went over them. Uh, but, but more than likely, it got them all stirred up. It got them all fired up. And then the shepherds were like, leave them here. Let's go. And there were all kinds of responsibilities, all kinds of things that should have just kept them in the field. But instead, they decided, let's just go see. And so for you and I, we want to take advantage of, this is why we, we follow the church calendar at Christian Chapel. We observe Advent and Lent. It's why we do Christmas Eve services. It's why we do Good Friday services. It's why we talk about Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday and Pentecost Sunday. There are all these rhythms built into the life of the church where we can stop and say, regardless of the distractions, regardless of the busyness, there's a bigger story going on that God is inviting me to be a part of. And so I want to slow down enough to hear his voice and respond to what he's saying. So whether we're searching or whether we're completely indifferent towards him, God is speaking to us today. And I don't know what your situation is. I don't know what you walked in with this morning, but I know God does. He sees you, he knows you, he loves you, he has a plan for you, and he has a, a path to lead you from where you are to where he wants you to be. And he's going to initiate that entire process for you and to you. Your only job is to slow down long enough to listen and then to respond in obedience as his Holy Spirit enables you. And so as we kind of start to get right into the thick of Advent this year, which means we're also right in the thick of a very busy time of life, I want to give you some questions to kind of slow down and consider in your life today. So the first one is, what is God saying to me right now. This is a, I don't know if you have friends who um, they just kind of, they go straight in for the big questions like, hey, how are you doing? They're like, great. What's God saying to you right now? Um, and it's kind of intimidating because you feel the pressure of like, I better say something profound. Like, you know, like for me as a pastor, it's like, I, I really need to, I feel like I need to tell them like, well, I just learned the meaning of a new Greek word. Um, and God, it's not though, but it's not that big. Just what is God saying to me? And sometimes it's just very simple. But if the answer is nothing, then it's a clue I'm not listening because he's always speaking. Next question, what am I learning? 
What am I learning? We never achieve a spot in our walk with Christ where we have learned all that there is to learn. You know what they call people who say they have perfect knowledge of their relationship with Jesus? Cult leaders. That's what they call them, right? So if that's, if that's your end goal, go for it. Uh, not here, though, preferably. Uh, so, but what am I learning? Just that idea of I, I've never finished. I've never stopped. The next one, how am I growing? In what ways am I closer to Jesus today, December 8th, 2019, than I was on December 8th, 2018? In what ways am I learning to trust him? And, what, and sometimes that's through good and sometimes that's through bad. But God can bring growth through every season, through every moment, through every problem, and through every uh, just wonderful experience of life. How am I growing? The next one, where do I need faith? Life, life with Jesus is not about like, hey, he's going to save me and then he's going to bring me to the point where now I'm self-sufficient. But he's always going to lead us and he's always going to lead us into new seasons and new places where faith is required. And, and so one of the things that God has been speaking to me about personally is anytime I kind of settle into a routine where faith isn't needed, it's really pretty dangerous ground for me because I'm going to start to rely more on myself than I am on Jesus. And so I always want him to kind of expand my horizons. I always want him to give me bigger dreams. I always want him to put something new in front of me where I look at it and say, Lord, that is only possible if you work and if you move. Next one, what promises am I praying for? As you read through the scriptures, they are full of promises that God will be with you, that he will provide for you. Promises about your relationships, promises about your family, promises about the way that you work, promises about your ability to use your resources for his kingdom. And so as you read through the scriptures and you see those promises, which ones is God saying, hey, latch onto that right now? I mean, maybe it's in your marriage and, and you're thinking, hey, it's on the rocks right now. You need to latch onto that promise of, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. That's the promise you're praying for. For others of you, your children have, have turned away from the faith that you tried so desperately to impart to them and you're holding on, you're praying that promise of train up a child in the way they should go and when they're old, they'll not depart from it. And you're just clinging to it. Others, we're, we're walking through seasons of grief and loss and, and we're praying those promises of even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. And some of us, we, we are in a, a space where there is no peace. We've been laid off. We're not sure financially where it's coming from. We need to hold on to those promises that I can cast all my cares on him because he cares for me. What promises are you praying for? Where do I need God to move? Similar, similar question. What spaces in my life am, am I able to look at and just say, it's not what I want, and I don't know how to change it. So God, where do I need you to move? Where is God asking me to move towards him? When God reveals Jesus to us, it is always so that we will begin the process of moving in the direction he leads and he guides. So in, in what spaces have I or do I need to surrender control and say, Lord, lead and guide as you wish and as you will? And I'll just follow where you go. And, and lastly, do I have space in my life to hear his voice? And that's a big one for a lot of us today. We, we think we're so busy. We think we don't have any time. I couldn't possibly add anything else to my schedule. But as we begin an honest evaluation, what we'll see is we've got a lot of wasted time. We've got a lot of wasted space. We spend a lot of time and energy on things that just don't matter at all. And Advent is a wonderful time for us to, to kind of evaluate our schedules and say, okay, as everything else gets busier, where can I carve out time and space to hear God's voice even more? So it might mean you're getting up a few minutes earlier in the morning. It might mean you're staying up a little bit later at night. 
It might mean you're, you're finding some new Bible reading plan. You're engaging in, in new conversations with a spouse, with a friend. Maybe it means you, you get to work five minutes early just so you can sit in your car for five minutes in the parking lot, no phone, no radio, and just beginning to pray prayers of God. Let me know you're present here. Let me know your peace is here. Right? It just creates some space. And what you'll find is you create space to hear God's voice. He is always speaking. He's not far off. He's not hiding. He's not saying, hey, learn Greek and come back to me. He's just saying, hey, I'm going to lead you. I want to guide you. I'm a loving father who gives good gifts to his children. Our only job is just to to make some space to listen. And so this morning, that's that's what we're going to finish by doing. I'm just trying to answer that question of, hey, we believe God is moving. Will I move with him? Will I respond to what he is saying to me? So if you'll stand with me, I want to pray for us. And then the band's going to, they're going to lead us in a song. We're going to take some time to pray prayers together. If you'll bow your heads and close your eyes, I I don't know the situations of everyone in this room, but I know God does. And, And I know just naturally, I know that many of us come with situations today where we need God to move. And so if you'll bow your heads and close your eyes with me, if you're here today and there are some some spaces, relationships, work, school, maybe it's your health, maybe it's a business opportunity, it could be good, it could be bad, it could be somewhere in the middle, it could just be a, a coldness in your relationship with the Lord. Maybe it's that you've never actually surrendered your life to him. In whatever space you say, I need God to move, will you raise your hand this morning so I can pray for you? There's no shame in that. And and the great news is when we say, God, I need you to move, his answer is always, I have, I am, and I will. So God, we come today, you see our needs, you see those responded and those that did not. And in every space in our life where we're crying out for a move, we trust, Lord, that Jesus will be the answer. He'll be the director. He'll be the revealer, the one who takes us on the path he's laying out for us. So God, I pray today that you would begin to fill our hearts with humility and with faith. Humility to admit we need you to move and we need you to help us move towards you. And faith to believe that you are always speaking, always leading, always guiding. So Lord, I pray for those who came seeking and those who came indifferent into whatever space we came in this morning. Lord, we come now to be changed by your spirit to hear your voice speaking directly to us about the situations and circumstances of our life. We believe that you have purposes and plans to get us from where we are to where you want us to be. And so, Lord, we surrender to you. We invite your spirit into our hearts. Give us an awareness, Lord, that you are here, you're working, you're moving, and help us to move in response to you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask our our pastors and our prayer team, if you guys will come up and kind of spread yourselves out across the front. We don't want to leave today without giving you an opportunity to do what the scriptures say, to move towards God. And so if there are spaces where you need prayer, spaces where you need to hear his voice, good, bad, indifferent, doesn't matter, as we pray, if you will come forward, we'd love to pray those prayers with you. The band's going to lead us in a song as we do.
today, I hope that you go filled with the confidence of the Holy Spirit, that in whatever space you need God to speak, he already is, and he will continue. He will lead you, and he will guide you. He will provide for you. He'll provide for his plans and his time and his ways. So may you go full of his peace and grace, full of the confidence that God is moving and inviting you to move with him, and into every part of our lives where we're crying out for his intervention, his answer is the power, the presence, the person of Jesus Christ. So as you go, may you go in his grace, may you go in his peace, may you go in confidence that God sees you, he knows you, he loves you, and he is moving to reveal his plans to you. Thank you for worshiping him with us today. We hope to see you again on Sunday. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christian Chapel. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com.